I love that song being the lead into my message this morning because I want to start off with just saying how great is our God. As a testament in my life, um, seeing as that eight years ago I was not a believer in Jesus Christ, I was not following God by any sort, living totally in the ways of this world, but Jesus reached out to me and redeemed me from my sinful ways and he has equipped me over these past eight years to bring me up to this opportunity that I would have thought I would never have received at this time eight years ago, getting to share the word of God with the congregation of his people. I want to recognize the trust that is put, in, put into me by Gary and the elders, giving someone as young as myself the opportunity to preach in this. And this is just testament to God's refining work of the Holy Spirit that we see in each and every single one of our lives. Our passage for this morning is going to be Matthew 25, 31 to 46. I hope you have a Bible or an electronic version of such to follow along as we go through this, as it's quite a long passage. And our title for our message this morning is The Sheep and the Goats. So let us read our passage this morning, the Word of God. Starting in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did to the one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do to the one of the least of these, you did not do to me. And then they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous eternal life. Let us pray before we get into God's word this morning. Dear God, I thank you for the wonderful opportunity that we have to gather to hear your word this morning. I thank you for your inspired word of God and the fact that we have the opportunity to study from it and learn more about you through this. God, I thank you for seeing us sinful humans in this world and sending your son into this world on our behalf to bear the consequence that we deserved. I pray, Lord, this morning that this truth would resonate with those that call themselves followers of you and those that do not know you at this time, Lord, would be challenged by the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, on our behalf. I pray for this message, exploring the sheep and the goats, that you would let it resonate in our hearts, stick out a point to each of us to take home and ponder for the rest of this week. 
I pray for your Holy Spirit to come over me and share your word, your desires through this message this morning, Lord. We give you all honor and praise. Amen. So for this long passage this morning, it could be easy for us to get lost. So I've compiled three points and three sections that I want to take us through. Our first section is verses 31 to 33, looking at the Christ judgment seat over the sheep and the goats. Our second section will be verses 34 to 40, where we look at the blessing and inheritance of the sheep. And our final section will be looking at verses 41 to 46, where we see the condemnation and expelling of the goats. For each of these sections, I've compiled like subpoints to guide our discussion as we begin to understand this passage some more. Our first section here, as I said, is verses 31 to 33. I will reread the other sections going forward, but considering that we just read it for the interest of time, I won't do so. We see a judgment taking place in this section. It's important for us to determine when this judgment does take place. This judgment takes place prior to Christ's establishment of his millennial kingdom when he comes back to earth for the second time to gather to himself his beloved people. In judgment, Christ determines those that are worthy to enter into his millennial kingdom. And those unworthy of such are sent away into judgment and subsequently the lake of fire. And so we have this kingdom set up at this time, the millennial kingdom where Christ brings his people back together for himself. In light of that context, we can move on to our passage here, looking at our first point. In verse 31, we see the Son of Man coming in his glory, sitting himself down on a glorious throne over the people. We see Jesus setting himself up as the judge. This judgment that he commits at this time is a judgment of the nations where Christ will judge all the people of all the nations of this world based on if they are worthy or not to enter into his kingdom. Christ's judgment at this time is perfect and just. Why is Jesus Christ the judge? If we look back at Jesus' task when he came to earth, Christ came in a way to fulfill the law of God that had been decreed in the Old Testament. Prior to Jesus, the law only stood as a daunting, unattainable perfection that we were called to. All humans prior to Jesus, present at Jesus, and following Jesus, and all of us here today, fail at upholding the perfection that the law calls us to. Jesus, though, beautifully came as a human, feeling what it was like to be like us, to feel the temptation of sin, and yet remain perfect in accordance to the law. Even more amazing is that Jesus, through his sacrifice, extends this righteousness to all the people of this earth. Jesus bore the judgment that we deserved and extended to us the perfection that we could never obtain. In this, Christ has brought freedom from the law to life. No longer did the law only bring forth death because Christ had took death and made new life from that. Without Christ looking at the law, we only stand condemned and dead. Jesus is the judge because Jesus is the embodiment of what the law demands of us, perfection. Only through putting our absolute faith from him can we be recipients of his righteousness and receive any deliverance from the justice and the judgment that we rightfully deserve. And so this is why those that choose to deny Jesus are extended this judgment in this passage. In verse 32, we go on and we see Jesus dividing these two groups, separating the sheep from the goats. This has historical context. You remember Jesus being described as our shepherd at other times in scripture. Shepherds in the time of ancient Israel 
had a flock consisting of both sheep and goats, and they would divide this into these two sections at day's end so that they would have their grazing needs that they required. Shepherds were extremely efficient at this task because they knew their flock inside and out. They knew every single one of the participants in that flock. Christ fulfills this task as the shepherd because he knows human hearts and he knows those that are a part of his flock, his beloved sheep. And so Christ carries out this division separating the sheep from the goats. And in this separating act, we see a finality. No longer is it a time where the righteous and the unrighteous must dwell together on earth according to this passage. Christ returns to earth to gather to himself his prized possession in purpose of establishing the new kingdom in this moment that will transcend into all eternity when, he- when Jesus creates the new heaven and the new earth for us to dwell on. This must stir urgency within us believers. Urgency to make the gospel known throughout this world. We cannot simply be fixated, though, on telling people that they must avoid future judgment. We must present to them the life of freedom that is extended to us now, freedom from the law and the condemnation that he brought on all of us. Moving along in our passage, we will go on exploring the judgment that is casted onto the righteous sheep and the unrighteous goats, these two groups divided by Jesus. Our first group that we'll look at as the passage follows is the sheep in verses 34 to 40. We will read that again here now. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did to the one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did to me. Before we get into my subpoints about this section, there's two identities that we need to clarify in this. Our first identity is who are the sheep? It should be clear that the sheep are the righteous people of God, those that are faithful to him. People can get really hung up on who are going to be the people present when Christ returns to this earth for a second time. That is a point to be discussed outside of this message, and I don't know that it bears too much importance in looking at this message particularly. The important point is that the righteous sheep are the people of God that refuse to forfeit their allegiance to Jesus in the coming times of this world. And so as we've established who the sheep are, we move on to our next group described in this, the least of these brothers and sisters of mine that Jesus talks about in verse 40. Some people may try to think that this extends beyond the believers of God. But you have to remember that just earlier in this passage, Jesus has divided the righteous from the unrighteous. He's not going to apply a heartfelt welcome of being brothers and sisters of his to those that are within this unrighteous goats group. So it can only be understood that Jesus again is describing people faithful to God when he describes his brothers and sisters. 
And so I want you to remember as we go forward through this section that these actions that are applied here are not applied to the wider population of the world, but specifically the people of God. This all shows as a testament of the isolation and outcasting that comes over God's people as the time of tribulation comes on this earth. And this will be leading up to the proceeding of Jesus' judgment in the nations that takes place in this passage. And so laying that context, we can go in properly understanding the section concerning the judgment that goes on the sheep. Our first point here is looking at the inheritance of the kingdom prepared for the sheep. In verse 34, Christ invites the sheep to enter into his kingdom that he had prepared for them. I think it is important for us to understand this, to understand in full context that we do not fall into some belief that we need to earn our salvation by any sort. Those invited into the kingdom of God are blessed by the Father. This blessing is not based on the merits of their actions or deeds, but by their selection by the Father as recipients of his blessing. As a result of our blessing from the Father, we are heirs to this eternal kingdom prepared from the beginning of earth. This eternal kingdom where man was supposed to dwell alongside God. We see the picture of this with Adam and Eve in the garden. But we know the sin that came dividing God and man. But Jesus came to earth to deal with sin, to deal with this divide, and to begin a reuniting process where God and his creation are reunited on a spiritual level. We see in this inheritance of the kingdom prepared the transcending of this unity with God spiritually into the physical. We see it experienced on an even grander level where God and man were dwell together in the new heaven and the new earth that is to come. And so as we've talked about those heirs to the kingdom, it's important for us to clarify what qualifies these people as righteous. In looking at this passage, you see a variety of actions described. Though these specific actions are described in this passage, it is not good acts that qualify us as righteous. Remember what it says, that we are blessed by the Father, not credited by the Father based on the actions that we've done. This blessing of righteousness is extended by God. And out of faith, the sheep accept it. Humans alone are not capable of being righteous. So what drives these righteous actions to overflow from our hearts? Is none other than the work of the Spirit of God in us where we are progressively changed bit by bit to be made more like Jesus. The work isn't finished when you accept Jesus Christ into your heart for the first time. He takes you on a redemptive journey where he changes you inside and out to be more like himself. And so, these acts of mercy that are listed in this action are done out of righteousness and are done unto the brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, are done unto the followers of God. This raises the point that a serious issue is on hand for a believer not willing to treat their brothers and sisters in Christ with this mercy and love shown in this passage. <clears throat> that leads us into our third point, looking at the recipients of these sheep's actions. It's clear that the recipients are these least brothers and sisters of Jesus, the followers of God. It can be incorrectly attempted by some to broaden the application of this to all the people 
of this world to all those that are afflicted and outcasted. Of course, in the observance and the life of Jesus Christ, we see that he has a special heart for those that are outcasted in this world. However, generosity is not the mark of a believer. There are plenty of generous humans in this world still dead in their sins and in desperate need of salvation from Jesus Christ. The understanding of this passage is that it can only be interpreted that when Jesus commends these merciful acts done unto his brothers and sisters, he's focusing on those that treat his people in this way in the times of tribulation outlined in Revelation. Revelation can be a scary book because if you take a read through it, it shows a very undesirable setting for those that try to live righteously. Jesus even explains earlier in Matthew that if those days of tribulation had not been cut short, there would be no one living in this world. But for the sake of his elect, he cuts them short. The place that is to come will not be a place of acceptance for the sheep of God. It will be an absolute marking on anyone that is willing to treat these people with these actions outlined in this passage. The simple acts such as giving food or drink or shelter or clothing to Christ's sheep at this time, his brothers and sisters, will be regarded as someone be regarded to someone as a death wish in the times of tribulation. And so as we've gone through and discussed this blessing of inheritance that is there for the sheep, we go into our third section here, looking at the condemnation and expelling of the goats. It's important for us to know that teachings such as this about judgment and hell are meant to awaken us to the reality of how imperfect we are as humans and how apart from God, we are nothing. Our sin should disqualify us from his kingdom. In light of this, a fear of hell is merited and right because we recognize how the effect of our sins are so big. Jesus, however, came into this world to enable those that believe in him to no longer live strictly in fear, but be able to recognize the wonderful grace that he has extended to them by dying on the cross. He paid the perfect price to purchase us from the judgment and from hell, both which we rightfully deserve. Hell is a display of how horrible life apart from God is and how it's absolutely necessary for God to come rescue us from our sinful selves. I hope all of you sitting here today can recognize how Jesus came specifically to rescue you. He came to rescue you from judgment, and he came to rescue you from your sinful self. With that little prelude, we get into this passage discussing the judgment of those that are unrighteous in this world. We will read the section here, verses 41 to 46. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to drink. I was thirsty and you gave, I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty 
or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you, he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do to the one of the least of these you did not do to me. Then they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous eternal life. I find it interesting in this passage in verse 41 that Christ describes this eternal fire as a place prepared for the devil and angels and his angels. There seems to be a distinctness as to who heaven and hell were created for. You see heaven, Jesus describing earlier, inviting the sheep to come inherit the kingdom prepared for you. Here the goats are not cast into some place created specifically for them, but instead are disqualified from inheriting the kingdom that was previously prepared. This outlines that God has never desired for humans to be cast into hell. Spiritual separation between God and man has never been his interest. Over and over, God has extended opportunities of grace to us to be delivered from this. And repeatedly, us humans have turned our backs on him and chose to live for ourselves instead. This passage is a warning of a time that is coming when God will have to deal with these rebels. When God will have to deal with the people that have turned their back on him and want nothing to do with them. In rebellion, the goats have chosen to forsake the kingdom of God and would rather join with Satan in his kingdom of darkness and living for the kingdom of this world. God will deal in this time with Satan, his devils, and all those that have joined with him in rebellion and expel them into the eternal fire that he originally created for Satan and his companions. And so our next section that comes up is looking at the inaction of the goats and what leads them into this disqualification. Jesus again lists all the things that the sheep did unto him and his followers. These are the very things that the goats abstain from doing. Their actions are birthed from their rebellion against God and their undesire to serve him and his people. This assures us that greater division and hostility is sure to come in this world as us believers look forward to the end of the age and Christ's return to earth. Altogether here in North America, Christians have received limited persecution for our faith. But a day is coming, however, when Christians will not be received peacefully by anyone. They will be actively oppressed and isolated in this world. However, a point that needs to be stressed about this is that us sheep, the believers of God, cannot fall into casting judgment onto these people and creating division between themselves and the goats. We are not the judges. Christ is the judge. He comes back to earth, and Christ, in his judgment, will deal with these people. He will divide the sheep from the goats. We are not tasked with dividing ourselves from the goats now. We are tasked with making Christ, his love known throughout this world. And so, this begs a question for us. What is your response to persecution and opposition in this world? Is it anger, bitterness, resentment of these people? I know that I have reacted in this way before to those that are opposed to me. And this reaction is wrong. 
let us be reminded of Christ's response to the persecution of this world as he unfairly hung up on the cross, bearing a consequence that he did not deserve in any sense in his perfection. What does he say in this moment, hanging there? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Of all the moments of oppression in the entire history of this earth, Christ hanging on the cross was the absolute unfairest of them all. The perfect son of God hanging, bearing condemnation, bearing the penalty for sins that he had never, ever committed. And he says, forgive them. No anger, no bitterness, no resentment to those that brought this on him. Simply compassion, tenderness, and love. And so this calls us believers when we are faced with opposition as the sheep of God to look forward to the inheritance of the kingdom that is to come. Let us not respond resentfully and cast judgment onto our persecutors, but instead extend to them the undeserved grace that we have been that we have received from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we talk about justice and our unworthy desires to bring justice and judgment onto people in this world, we head into our final section. And verse 46, where the sheep and the goats are sent away into their eternal dwelling places. The goats are sent away into eternal punishment but the righteous are sent away into eternal life. Judgment such as this may be a difficult topic for people to discuss at times in the Christian faith because the world poses many questions about God's goodness and judgment. But this is why it is absolutely essential that we understand why judgment needs to happen in accordance with God's character and his being. There are three points that I have highlighted as to why judgment needs to take place and I hope these serves as reminders for all of us, myself included, about why judgment must occur. The first point is that God is holy. He will not allow sin to be in his presence in his future kingdom. We see this outlined from the start when Adam and Eve are sent out of the garden, out of this kingdom from the start, because of their sinfulness. God will not allow anything short of the perfection that comes through the purchasing of Jesus Christ's blood to enter into his kingdom. Our second point is that God is jealous. He will not allow anything undeserving of worship or place him as the object of praise in our life in the time to come. God deserves our worship in everything that we say, think, and do. But sin in all of its vessels has tempted us to worship things in this world undeserving of praise. We should not think for a second that God requires or needs worship from us. He needs nothing from us. But our worship in this world, when we worship the things that are undeserving of it, should only be properly placed on our Savior, our Creator, that has granted us all the good and great things that we enjoy on this earth. And the last point is that God is just. From the beginning, He has said that the consequence of sin is death. We see in the garden death taking place when God strikes down an animal in place of Adam and Eve to clothe them. This is a foreshadowing of God sending his son to earth on our behalf to die, to purchase us, to make us whole and new. But anyone that does not accept Jesus 
receives this judgment that sin brought forth into this world. When looking at Adam and Eve, God should have struck them down dead in the garden when they sinned for the first time and should have been absolutely done with us humans in that moment. But instead, he extends a gracious gift, a gift of deliverance from sin, from death, from ourselves, that is present right now for you and present up until the end of this world. God has given us more opportunity than we ever deserve to be spared the judgment that we rightfully deserve. There are two responses to this. The sheep know this. Allow themselves to be covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, cleansed through and through. The goats, they see no need for cleansing themselves. They refuse to recognize their need for Jesus and would rather be left to their own devices in this world. And God will one day give them what they wanted, a dwelling place without him. And because of that, a dwelling place without his goodness, without all these things of this world that we enjoy and love, will be ejected from that place where the ghosts are sent into to dwell. And so as we think about the eternal consequences of all these things, there is a call to action for us now in the present. Us sheep are, have to be on a mission in this world. We know of the eternal kingdom that is prepared for us, but there are many that are unaware of such. One of my favorite descriptions of this kingdom is Revelation 21, 1-4, which I will read now. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne singing, Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Let us look forward and long for eternity. This is our hope. But is your hope living? Look around you and out into this world. Millions on billions of people are walking around unbothered and unaware of the judgment that awaits them at the end of this earth. They are physically alive here on earth and spiritually dead. And what is your response to this issue? Do you leave these people be and selfishly celebrate the undeserved grace that you possess from God? Or do you prop yourself up on some sort of fictitious judgment seat to look down on these people when apart from God we're as wretched as the next? Or do you truly understand the living hope that we've received from God? A living hope that understands that we are so undeserving of this grace that our only response can be unending praise and worship to God. A living hope that longs for an eternity that is enjoyed by as many people of this world as possible as this is God's heart. A living hope that is longing to be a part of God's redemptive plan now to bring the gospel throughout this earth. A living hope that is testament to the life-altering effect that being a follower of Jesus Christ brings. Let us grab hold of this hope, praying that we never, ever,
ever, ever let go and be bearers of hope in this world that is in such desperate need of it.